2: this is the athletic football
0: show welcome to the athletic football show today's tuesday august 23rd very excited to welcome my good friend deontay lee deontay how you doing buddy
2: I'm good, man. Um I saw I think that you saw the tweet last night. Um, I feel like I just won the Super Bowl. My sister was on a hundred thousand dollar pyramid. That's awesome. That's yeah. so
0: so great. I love that.
2: Yeah, and she she did she fared pretty well for herself, man. So we were all watching on the couch, you know, jumping around for everything. So I'm I'm feeling very, very gratified right now. That is great. Uh we're gonna
0: be feeling less gratified doing the show because we <laughs> did the top ten offenses with Nate yesterday, predicting them. You were scared to compete. So Absolutely. you decided that you did not want to predict the top 10 defenses Absolutely.
2: for this year. Yeah, no. No, thank you. Um, I, I tried that with Mina, and I felt like every time I gave a name of a team, I was like, yeah, this one's going to make me look like an idiot. I'm definitely going to get attacked for this one. I'm going to get attacked for this one. So I, I think I want to separate myself from that. I, I won't be that kind of texture today.
0: You Twofold, you did this with Mina already, and second, it's really hard to predict defensive performance. Yes. The Cowboys finished number one in defensive DVOA last year. If you had polled 1,000 people and asked them who would finish number one, none of them would have guessed the Cowboys. The randomness of defensive performance, it's less ripe for this sort of conversation than offenses are. Mm -hmm. So instead of predicting what we think is going to happen, we're going to ask 10 big questions about what defenses around the NFL might look like. I honestly do think it's a more useful exercise at this stage of things when you're talking about that side of the ball. So you and I went through a bunch of them uh, late last week, figured out a list that we wanted to do, and the first thing out of your mouth when I asked you, what 10 questions do you want to dig into, Mm -hmm. was about Mike McDonald and the Ravens. And I totally understand it because I think it's my first one as well. And put very simply, what will the Ravens' defense look like With Mike McDonald, their first year defensive coordinator there, after several years of Wink Martindale and his double A-gap mug pressures (laughs) in the preseason (laughs) philosophy and mindset and approach and general feel and vibe to his life. So what do you think is the answer? Like, What do you think the Ravens are going to look like with Mike McDonald at the helm now?
2: That I, I'm still so hung up on exactly what I think is going to be. And it's because I think the depth of their the depth of their defense all is in the same position. Right. And we talked about this before. It's the safeties. It's up the spine of the defense. And like, what do you actually do when you have that all available to you? Um, Is it going to look like what the Rams were? You know, minus obviously having an Aaron Donald when Brandon Staley was there and John Johnson and Will Hill. And you're able to put anybody wherever the hell you want to in order to stop the run, in order to play the pass. You can play with light boxes that way. So that, that's kind of the thing that I'm really interested in. And I think a lot of this is tied to what the availability of Kyle Hamilton is, is like a big nickel type. Is he ready to take that on? Do you want to play Marlon Humphrey inside? I think that's something that Marlon's been more comfortable with in the NFL as he's progressed throughout his career. What everything looks like when everybody's healthy, you know, that kind of changes some things. When Marcus Peters is available and, and I've kind of spoken on how I feel about Kyle Fuller and Jalen Armour Davis, like this defensive backfield allows him to do so much you know and, and that's kind of what what's really impressed uh not just impressive but intriguing to me in terms of roster building and, and what that kind of projects out as but i think it'll be three four a lot of that kind of bare front stuff based on um some of the people that i've talked to the two high bare front penny package type of looks um and then we're gonna get that same kind of four two five typical cover one and press quarters defense which is what he was doing uh mike McDonald was doing at michigan anyways so i think that we'll see a lot more of the kind of the current meta i think in 3-4 defense in the nfl is what what i expect to see i'm just really fascinated at what pieces are where and how much they spend how much time they spend with 6 dbs on the field that i think will be a really big kind of telling piece for what this defense ultimately turns out as
0: yeah and i think if you're trying to paint with a broad brush about what that current meta is like you said can you play two high defenses out of a 3-4 front with mm-hmm. this, like you said Solving some of those problems, bare fronts, and all of the different variations of it. And I think one of the underrated aspects of how Brandon Staley and that group have defined their defenses, Raheem Morris last year, it's been with varied personnel on the back end. Yes. And even last year's Rams, think about how many three safety packages they played with Taylor Rapp in the slot when uh-huh. they were figuring out what that corner group had to look like without Troy Hill. And it looks a little bit different everywhere depending on the players that you have. And I think the Ravens are going to be another example of this where. I have no idea it, how many three safeties, how many three corners, how many dime where you have three safeties and three corners. Like how right. all of that kind of stuff, I feel like is on the table. I think it's going to be a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. And and I the word I was going to use w- in regard to the way that Wink Mardo used to play was aggressive. This defense isn't passive necessarily. It's just not aggressive in the same way. Right. Even last year when they were dialing back a little bit, they played man coverage on fifty four percent of their third downs. They were blitzing at still. One of the highest rates in the league is 35% of snaps on third down, which right. is less than they used to, but still a lot more than teams from this Brandon Staley-esque world that we're talking about tend to do it. So I, I think that it's going to be more more similar to some of the teams that we've seen from that tree and just less of those dials that we've seen cranked all the way up under Wink Martindale over the last three or four years.
2: And I think that the benefit is 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 some of the bodies that they have up front, too. When you talk about Justin Matavuke, obviously, you know, you have you still have the monster and Calais Campbell there. You have Michael Pierce. Like they've got these huge bodies that Travis Jones, too. Right. You know, uh, Travis Jones from UConn. You've got these enormous guys up front, which I think helps to solve some of the problems that you would see uh, come up with Raheem Morris in the Rams last year. Right. Is how do we need to stop the run, you know, and, and still be able to structure these fronts to be able to handle certain things and these safety, you know, different safety depths. And are we playing shell coverage? Are we playing single high? What are we doing with our defensive backfield? Like you were kind of describing. I think that because they already have a lot of those bodies available to them, even though none of them are 99. Um, I think that that kind of allows them to be that flexible style of defense, like we're saying. And then I think that really what that leaves is how much pass rush can you get out of like an Odafeo way? Right. Like that's where I think that a lot of these questions are going to come down to is can you can you generate real rush with four? And if you can, then that opens up the door for you to play more with six DBs, you know, and do some more things on the back end. If not, then I think that we're still looking at, well, how much pressure do you actually have to generate? What does that mean in terms of personnel and your safety shells and how varied you can or can't be based on your backfield production just rushing for? So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now for them.
0: And that's a lot on early downs. Uh, on right. third down, I just feel like we're going to see some wild shit. Oh, 100%. It, it, at his core, he still is a guy who was raised with the Ravens. Right. And I think that that's where we're going to see him really express some of those ideas that they that came to define them over the last <clears throat> few years. So now, you have Odafeo and Patrick Queen as a blitzer. And I just think you're going to see a lot of crazy designer stuff in those situations. And I think that's a really fun combination. Like if we're trying to go with the new meta on early downs and then leaning into the Ravens identity on third down, that collection of ideas is a defense that
2: I want to watch. And that's the beauty of having a bunch of playable and and maybe plus starter level safeties, right, is now a Patrick Queen doesn't have to be matched up on backs or tight ends on passing downs, which is maybe not playing to his strength. You can do some different things with him as a blitzer. You can show these double mug packages where you've got linebackers walked up over linemen or you can do the overload stuff that we've seen from the Dolphins where everybody's up at the line of scrimmage and you have to account for all these guys in protection and you don't know who's dropping. You know, those are the types of things you can do and you can play cover one in that world because you have plus coverage players everywhere on the field, right? So that's the kind of stuff on third down where I think we can get really, really interested. Um, To your point about that early down stuff, we're not going to see the same, you know, four, four from a side, two off an edge blitzes like you see from Wink Martindale, you know, in week one of the preseason that I think everybody's kind of been laughing at. I don't think you'll see them leaning as hard in that direction. But again, to this point, when you get to third down, when you get to second and obvious, you can start getting these different personnel packages and different front looks on the field where you don't have to worry so much about your one young edge rusher having to be a star immediately because you can scheme some of this stuff up and still feel good on the back end so as long as they're healthy which over the last couple of years you know fingers crossed for Baltimore um, but as long as they're healthy I think that they have an opportunity I think to be a top 10 defense if not a top 5 top 8 type of defense this season
0: yeah of all the teams in the league they're the team I want to see in week one the most. I'm the most interested in structurally what it looks like based on what it's looked like in the past, and I think that's why starting with them makes all the sense in the world. Question number two. Let's go to the defense that finished number one in defensive DVOA last year and was arguably the best defense in football. Is the Bills defense as good as we think it is? When you did this exercise with Mina, you had them at number one when you Mm -hmm. were projecting the top ten defenses. I have some questions about that. But I, wanted, I want to hear your reasoning why you think that they might be as good as we thought they were last year.
2: I think that this might be, and this might not even be exclusive to their defense, this just might be the best roster top to bottom in terms of high-quality starters and playable depth that we have in the NFL this year. You know, you go through their defensive uh depth chart and up front you've got the guys that you want. You have you have Greg Russo, you have Von Miller, you have AJ Epinesa, you have Carlos Basham, and like the guys for them up front that are pass rushers that you maybe don't want, even as a number two, they're not going to be asked to do that. They can truly be, you know, rotational guys. So you can generate the pressure with four. You have Ed Oliver on the inside, you know, who's another good player for them. And I think that that allows them to do what they really want to do, which is play two high safeties on the back end, still be able to stop the run with their front four. And, you know, for how I feel about a Kyrie Elam, how we feel about Trey White as a corner. Um, you know, they have all the pieces that you need, I think, to be what we expect of a top five, top flight type of defense period. Um, and and I still have a lot of belief in what they have in their safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. I mean, both guys being all pros last season. I think if they're anything near that level, bringing in Von Miller to be that, you know, featured pass rusher for them, they can be exactly who I expect um, a Sean McDermott defense to be which is playing tough, you know, tight coverage on early downs and then being able to mix in some pressure on third to get after quarterbacks um, and playing cover one and things like that behind it. So that's what really what I'm looking at for them. I do expect this to be the number one defense in the NFL. Um, and I think that because of that depth, I'm not, you know, kind of holding my breath in the same way we would be for like a Dallas, right, who had some roster attrition um, with some of their quality starters. I think that even if a couple of guys go down for them, they have enough playable depth behind it, I think, to maintain a high level of play that I think they're going to put out on the field this year.
0: If you look at their second group of defensive linemen, the second line on their depth chart, it's Boogie Basham, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, A.J. Epinesa. If that was the starting front for for an NFL team, you'd think I wish they had more. I, I just wish right. they had more. Like They can survive but I wish they had more. Right. And that's, the, that's the second group. For right. this the team. entire <laughs> second lineup. There are no yes. starters
2: in who you just named.
0: That's the second line on the depth chart, and I think that's how you would talk about it, which is absolutely crazy. And then you look at the secondary, and you know I think Kyrie ideally would win that job for them, but Christian Benford, their six-round pick, has been a real yep. surprise during training camp, and they really like Terrell Bernard, right. the linebacker they drafted in the third round. Which, you know, they play nickel almost exclusively. That's what they did exactly. last year. But there were some times, you know, that those Patriots games where they had to throw three linebackers out there with A.J. Klein as the third one. Now you get a little bit more oomph with a guy like Bernard in there. Right. And I I had a GM this week tell me something that I wanted to run by you and see what you thought because I know you liked him. Mm-hmm. He said he would have taken Kyir Elam over Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner. Whew.
2: Whew. I can understand the argument. I I had them not as 1A, 1B, 1C, but if I'm you know, being uh, completely honest here, I had Kyrie Elam tied with Sauce Gardner for me in terms of projecting out what I think they'll be as pros. So Derek Stingley was my one, but Kyrie Elam was right in that same tier with those three, and I would not have been mad if he would have been the first corner taken off the board, even if I wouldn't have done that uh, personally. He's got all the tools, and when you look at how he plays and how the Bills like to cover – You couldn't find a better marriage of skill set and muscle, baby, muscle them up. And I love that.
0: And he said that the talent was within shouting distance of those other two guys. The makeup is what puts it. Yes.
2: Yes. The mentality is is right there. What you expect of that number one corner. So I think that he's going to fit right in across from Trey White.
0: You look at that the secondary depth. Like Even if Tredavious White doesn't start the season healthy, they were fine last year without him. I think they did a really good job of accounting for him. You talked about that with Mina where they're just shading the zone defenses a little bit differently, which I think makes Mm -hmm. total sense. The one thing I'd say, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, last year the Bills finished number one in defensive DVOA. They played the 31st schedule in the league, according to Football Outsiders. Here are some of the quarterbacks that the Buffalo Bills played last season. You ready? Ben Roethlisberger, Tua twice, Davis Mills, Taylor Heineke, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson twice, Carson Wentz in a game that he went 11 for 20 when his team won 41 to 20, Trevor Simeon, Mac Jones in a windstorm, and Sam Darnold. Those were 12 of their 17 regular season games last year. Oof.
2: The AFC says a gift that keeps on giving if you're a good team. <laughs> <laughs> That's the argument, is that they're still getting those quarterbacks yes. this year. They still yes.
0: get Zach Wilson twice or Joe Flacco, depending on when Zach Wilson's going to come ooh. back. You still get two it twice, ideally in a better situation for the Dolphins. But there's reason to believe that the competition could give them a chance to have a leg up before the games even start. But right. that would be my one question is th- how much of that dominance was driven by the quality of quarterbacks they played last season, even if we feel good about the players they have on that defense. And also, they're so insanely well-coached. Yes, Watching their backups make checks during preseason games when you have teams whose starters can't communicate and function I think is a real testament to what Leslie Frazier and this group have done over the last few years and what they've built there.
2: 100%. And this is something that I brought up when we were on the pod last with Nate um, and something that I'm going to be writing about. And I noticed it with them. I want to say there's maybe only three teams last year that qualified for this. And it's the pressure rate when only rushing four and then the amount of snaps that you played with two high coverages. And they were in the top 10 in both. And I think that if you can accomplish that, you're not sending a bunch of pressure, but you're still generating uh, or affecting the quarterback at a high rate. And you're still able to protect yourself from explosive plays. That was the hallmark of the Bills defense last year. That was late in the season for the Packers last season when we thought that they might still, when we thought they might be in contention, even without Jair Alexander. I think the Bills are able to execute that without Trey White because of that ability to roll coverage over their number two or number three corner and still play quarters coverage opposite. You know, having a Teron Johnson that can do everything for you, um, having those safeties that that understand how to cover for guys um, who maybe have mismatches and things like that. Uh, and I think that they're able to protect their linebacker core, which is not a position group that I love for them, um, but I think that they have enough around them to where, uh, you know, an Edmonds doesn't have to do much. Matt Milano doesn't have to do much. Uh, you have a bail Inspector and a Bernard, like you mentioned, behind them to develop um, guys who I think can be decent linebackers or guys who can add into the rotation and be that quality depth like we talked about. I mean, you look at their second group, and to your point, would you love any of those guys standing alone? No, but when you look at who's ahead of them and you think, oh, well, if that guy only has to play 28% of the snaps defensively, I mean, you're cooking, you know, it's the same conversation of basketball when you say like, well, if that guy's your fourth best starter or your fifth best starter, or if you that pitcher is the fourth best in your rotation, you're probably a World Series level team. That's exactly what we're looking at for them defensively. And if they can continue to generate the pressure that they did last year with four, which I think they have the ability to because of that rotation, knowing what they want to do on the coverage end and how disciplined they are, like you were saying, it's going to be tough to beat them. And that schedule, while it is tougher because it's a first place schedule, you do still have the AFC East. You do still have the Browns. You know, we're not exactly sure what that quarterback situation is going to be, even when Deshaun is back. And I, don't, I know it's like right on the cusp of when he's supposed to return anyway. Um, You know, I, I like what they have. Even seeing the Steelers again, Um, you know, outside of the Chiefs, the Packers um, and the Bengals, you know, there's still not a ton Quarterback wise, for them in the regular season, that I think would change what you're looking at in terms of opponent strength that would take them away from being, you know, one of the three best defenses in the NFL this season.
0: I also just like some of the little tweaks because we think of them as a zone heavy team, and they are. Right. I mean, that's how they want to live, but they play more man than you think they did, yes. especially on early downs because of the guys that they have. And I asked Leslie Frazier about this. Being such a zone heavy team and seeing so much of the league moving to a more fire zone heavy world where mm-hmm. you're playing zone behind your pressures. Yeah. He said, Well, I, I would I don't want to do that because I like my matchups on the back end. Right. Like my, my secondary is so good that if I can play man and bring extra pressure, that's what I want to do. Yep. And that's it's exactly right. Like they're a zone heavy team that has man coverage players and that is just such an advantage for them and what it allows them to do on the back end. And the Von Miller side of this, you know, Brandon Bean, I had a conversation with Brandon Bean when I was there and I asked him if it was uncomfortable pushing your chips in like that. When you've right. been so patient and you've built it in this really methodical, thoughtful way. And they want those pressures to turn into sex. Mm-hmm. That they, they want the, they want to finish off those plays. And he's the type of guy that they think can get them there. And while definitely it is a move where you're stretching yourself a little bit thin and making not a desperation play but it would definitely something that was out of character for them this is the time like this is the window he's a rare player he fits into who they are and what they want to be and this is it like like this is the time to try to make a move like that
2: that's going to get you over the top and speaking of von miller you want to know what this bill's defense looks a whole lot like to me in the way you just described we've been describing them schematically the 2015 broncos in terms of yeah. depth, wanting to send pressure and play man behind it, playing zone when you're only rushing four, like that is exactly what I think they're kind of lining up here. They got a lot of similar pieces and while Vaughn might not be that same kind of tour de force that he was, having him next to what else they have up front, I think is plenty in order to get the best out of Vaughn and how he ended the season last last year leads me to believe that whatever drop off might be, might be there isn't going to be a problem for them um, based on what else they have and who he still is as a football player.
0: We talked about this in relation to offenses a lot, where being able to do a lot of different things is such an advantage. Mm-hmm. And with with a lot of the really good defenses in the league, those different things are expressed through personnel. Right. You can have different groups of players out there, but for the most part, the really good defenses in the league over the last five or so years have been pretty siloed schematically. You have teams that mostly play a lot of zone, right. like that. the Staley, Staley teams do. The Bills are a team that their different ways of doing it are truly like playing different stuff on the back end. We can play man if we need to. We can play zone if we need to. And that flexibility, there aren't that many teams in the NFL who enjoy that type of flexibility on defense, but they are absolutely one of them. And I think it works to their advantage pretty consistently.
2: Absolutely, that is a that is the legend of the late Jim Johnson. Me being an Eagles fan, an Eagle shill right now. That that is a legacy of that, right? Is you can send pressure from wherever you want, when you want to. You can get into any world that you want to, and you have the physicality and depth up front to still be able to stop the run and be able to bully teams. And, and I think that that might be one of the more underrated pieces of this defense. You know, for whatever the narrative was around that, you know, horrible windstorm of a game. When they played the Patriots on Monday Night Football, um, I think they still only gave up like four yards per carry on like 46 carries. So (laughs) they can still stop the run with this group. And that, I think, allows you, you know, the comfort and the flexibility to say all these pieces we have behind them, we can do whatever we want. If we've got to blitz you to beat you, we can blitz you every down. If you need to play cover one, we can we can reconfigure the matchups to do so. When We want to play quarters. We can do that. When Trey White goes down, we can play halves over him and still play quarters, you know, which is a glorified cover zero, you know, on the other side because we trust our safety and our corner to handle their one-on-one matchup so we can still fit the run and protect ourselves from explosive passes up the sideline. That's a rarity in the NFL, you know, 100%. That, people talk, you know, when I, when I went to the combine, that was something that I heard over and over again from coaches is, man, we would love to do X, Y, and Z. We have all that stuff in the book. But we don't got the dudes or we don't we can't make that kind of investment because it would be it would be at the cost of what else we need. That's a must do for us. And they have that ability to say any week, whatever we've got to do to beat you, we can lean 100 percent into that and do so comfortably. And it's not going to come at the cost of other things. And that level of versatility is exactly what you're looking for in an ideal world defensively. And that's why I think they're the best defense in the NFL.
0: You mentioned Jim Johnson, Leslie Frazier's first job in the NFL. Yep. As
2: the defensive backs
0: coach for the Jim Johnson-led
2: Eagles, I yes, asked sir. him
0: when I was there because I'm curious because he's been in so many different places and run a lot of different types of defenses. Like, what at your core do you believe defensively? Like, what do you want to be? And the first two names out of his mouth were Buddy Ryan and Jim Johnson, which yep. is a is a pretty fun little education to bring with you throughout nice. your NFL career.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live, customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game-changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: Selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you change. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Let's get to the next one here. Question number three, just how hard will regression hit the Cowboys this year? We talked about them at the top, being number one in DVOA on defense last year. I think a lot of questions about what this defense looks like in 2022. It ha- it, it starts with turnovers. And yes. I think that's absolutely the place that you have to start. Looking at the EPA they generated on turnovers last year, it was 162.3. Mm-hmm. That means nothing. But for context, the next closest team is at 132. Right. The gap between the Cowboys and the Cardinals, one and two, was about the same as the gap between the Cardinals and the Bengals, who were twelfth. That's how much of an outlier they were from the value they generated from taking the ball away. And I hate to break it to you guys, that's not consistent from season to season. It We've learned this over time. Like this, it's it just not how like it goes. Yeah. And so I guess the qu- we know they're going to take a step back, but how big of a step back do you think they're going to take?
2: I I can't. Is it one that.
0: to seventeen? Is it one to seven?
2: I don't want to say one to 17, but that's in play. Like I, think, to I, think me, too. I think that's in play. I would say probably one to, from one to 12, I think will probably be the happy medium for me. But dropping to the low teens, maybe all the way to 20, I think is in play. And it's because of those splash plays, you know, to your point of nobody being able to guess that the Cowboys would rank where they were last year. Well, yeah, because you don't usually get a guy that looks like the rookie of the year, the defensive player of the year. One of the 10 best linebackers and one of the 10 best edge rushers in one guy in one season. Right. And that's what Micah Parsons was. You don't usually get 11 interceptions from your number one corner um, like that's just not what you would expect. Um, and I think it's hard to it's going to be hard for them to dominate in situational um, situations, you know, third down red zone defense, um, obvious passing situations. They thrived in those situations. And that's uh, a hallmark of the Dan Quinn defense is we're going to put a bunch of speed on the field so we can win when those situations come up. But actually generating that level of turnovers, that level of splash plays, um, as our coworker Mike Sando would would kind of describe it and TFLs, sacks, pressures, QB hits, PBUs, interceptions, all those com- um, combined into one kind of statistic. They were in the top 10 in that. They had the second best third down defense in the NFL last year in terms of conversion rate. They were seventh in pressure rate on conversion downs. You know, that kind of stuff is hard to do year over year. And it's not like Randy Gregory is a first team, all pro level player. But losing a guy like that, when you had that kind of combination of three real pass rushers between Parsons, Gregory and uh, Lawrence when he was healthy, that stuff has an effect when your defense is built around rushing five all the time and playing cover one. There's not a lot of relief for your defensive backs, so those guys got to get home, and I think it's going to be hard to generate the turnovers when they don't get home the way that they did last season.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And you look at the personnel; it's not any better than it was last year. Right? You know, you're going to try to piece together that second edge rusher spot now with Dante Fowler and Sam Williams on the back end. You know they still have Jaron Curse's back, and the way they were all, they used him in like a very specific role last year. I think him, Donovan Wilson, and Malik Cooker will play a lot together and they really like Deron Bland. He's been playing very right. well. He's playing at the nickel for them was a fifth-round pick. I, I think they'll be fine, but I just don't think that they have the high-level players at all the levels of this defense to be a top-five-ish unit right. again without those turnovers. I do think Anthony Barr coming in is interesting just because theoretically it allows Micah Parsons to play on the edge. Which is what so, I think yeah. they
2: need, and I, I think that that was a very necessary move for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, just it, you have some flexibility built in there. And I think there's a lot of decent players on this team. I don't think there are a lot of great players on this team. And I think when you normalize for the turnovers, you're going to get a defense that feels fine but is nowhere close to what it was a year ago. I do think Dan Quinn deserves some credit. Absolutely. the evolution of what he has done defensively, this team played more man on early downs than any other offense or any other defense in the NFL last season. Mm-hmm. And I think being a little bit more aggressive and having a couple changeups and even if you look at the coverages they played on third down, they yep. played more cover two than a you think they A lot of cover two. A lot yeah, more quarters just, I mean, than
2: you think they would have.
0: Just little wrinkles. And I think that he and I had a conversation when I was there in Oxnard and just about how much time he had during that 2020 yes. season. He got fired a month into the year, and he had a lot of time to kind of sit back and say, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to change this stuff? And to his credit, there were a lot of changes. There was definitely a different look to that defense last season than it had been when he had previously coordinated defenses with the Falcons and before that. So I do think he deserves some credit, but I just think that the talent level on this defense, even if they can be solid, it's not going to be the group that we saw last year.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't I wouldn't mark this as a red flag for them from last season, maybe more yellowish orange, but one of the things that was kind of concerning looking at the stats is that they gave up the fourth more shards before contact on rushes. I think they were sixteenth in total defensive EPA per rush on early downs, and they had the fourth highest rate of explosive plays given up last year. So if you're not really great against the run and you give up big plays, yeah, when you get to the quarterback and you force a bunch of turnovers, that'll paper over these issues. And this is something we'll talk about with the Cardinals, I'd I guess, you know, at a different point. Um, but if those things 10 start seconds, to regress, my good man. yes, if those things start to regress and you're still giving up a bunch of big plays, you're still having trouble, um, you know, keeping offenses off schedule in terms of the run game, that does open up a lot of trouble. And that's how you get that drop from first to 12th or first to 16th in the NFL. And I still think that you can be. A interesting, if not, you know, a playoff level, you can win a playoff game on the road team because of what, how much belief I have in Dak Prescott um, and CD Lamb on that offense. But I do think that that drop off certainly changes the trajectory of this team in, in 2022.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So let's get to those Arizona Cardinals. I think the question to ask about the Cardinals is can the Cardinals and their weird ass defense continue to do this? So this year, <laughs> The Cardinals finished sixth in defensive VVOA this season. They finished tenth in twenty twenty in twenty twenty. So two straight years they've had top ten defenses.
2: You want to guess what Who they were that? in twenty nineteen? At least by EPA, thirty second.
0: I mean, <laughs> listen, good for Vance Joseph, last. <laughs> I, mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit. There's a decent amount of luck baked into this, which we can
2: get into. Yes.
0: But they finished sixth in defensive DVOA last season. Who was the best player in the Cardinals defense last year?
2: Uh... Play somebody cue the Jeopardy music. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> I'm going to need a minute with that one. Will we say Budabaker almost by like that, default?
0: Budabaker. It's probably Buda Baker. But other than that, it's really kind of put together with toothpicks and paper clips yes. and chewed up gum. Yes. It's and such a weird JJ collection Watt of players. Us out.
2: <laughs> like, so to that point, I mean, everything you detailed is exactly what I was going to start with. Dead last in defensive MP- EPA uh, in 2019. 11th in 2020 by the same metric, and then 6th last season. And they were 3rd in blitz rate last year, 4th in blitz rate the year before that, and a 2nd uh, in blitz rate in 2019. So clearly, this is just what they are, right? And you just kind of got to play the results based on how it comes to you. Um, my big issue, or one of the things that's really kind of been an eye-raiser for me, is that when they're blitzing, they're dead last in pressure rate. And I think that so much of that is because every offense just knows, hey, we're banking on them bringing 5 or six. That's just what's coming. Um, and I think that for them, they've been able to manage it because the heavy amount of pressure that Vance is sending makes quarterbacks stole the ball short, right? I think that they're like second to last or have the second lowest, um, air yards per target when they're blitzing. That helps because they don't have great, you know, coverage guys on the perimeter. Um, I think well, it's funny because
0: point- the conversation we had about the Bills, right? When the Bills are sending pressure, Playing almost exclusively man on blitzes right. last year, the Bills played sixty-six percent man coverage on blitzes. Right. Last year, the Cardinals played fifty-eight percent zone coverage on blitzes. They're just saying we're going to make you throw the ball. We're right. going to play cover three behind it and hope we can tackle.
2: Like exactly. that is how we have to live. It's a ra- it's a race to the football, man. Either we sack you or you check it down. You know that that's basically the world that they live in, which is just not an approach that a lot of teams take. That's a very Kind of when I was growing up type of approach. Right. We're going to force the we're going to force you to throw hot by blitzing from blitzing from space all the time on passing downs. That's kind of what the Cardinals like to do. Um, and I think that it gets them into trouble. And that's something that we've detailed. You know, I think that Vikings game was kind of a perfect example of something I talked about when I was at Pro Football Focus. I think that was week two last year when Dalvin Cook just had a field day. And they had so much trouble dealing with the motions and, and being able to get to Dalvin Cook in the backfield, even though they were blitzing. So, in a lot of ways, it kind of defies logic. I think what this defense is, uh, because of how they attack and the struggles that they have um, in the run game. So that's something that I've thought a lot about uh, with them. I don't know. Do we call? Th- I don't want to call this fake because you see the growth year over year. But to that point of, I don't think they have guys that I like. You lost Chandler Jones. You're still relying on J.J. I, I don't know if this is a real thing that I can bank on in 2022. We're coming up with fake position names for Isaiah Simmons. Um I, I just don't know exactly where this thing is at in 2022. And if they don't have the same amount of front talent that they had just last year, is there really enough for them to be able to stand tall when offenses are comfortable dealing with some of their pressure packages?
0: This is a fascinating collection of stats. Okay, so on Blitzes last year, the Cardinals ranked third in cover zero snaps. 42 Mm -hmm. 42 of them on the season. They also ranked fourth in cover three snaps. So on Blitzes, the Cardinals essentially ranked cover zero or cover three last season. That's yes. what they did. Did that collection of stuff together is hilarious. <laughs> they were 28th in the yes. amount of snaps they played cover one. So even when they're blitzing, they're doing like such a weird variety All of nothing, bullshit baby. that no All one else nothing. is doing. I, I absolutely love it. What do you think about this conversation about Isaiah Simmons, role change and what his, he's going to do and kind of what it says about just how strange the collection of players on this team actually is?
2: I think that that speaks to – I don't want to call it a lack of understanding of how to find guys because I think that you can understand the sales pitch for every linebacker that they've drafted or second-level defender that they've drafted. I just think that they continue to put these guys in positions that are not natural to them. And now we're in – You know, I don't understand
0: the sales pitch. I simply would not draft them in
2: that range of the draft. I I don't get – I don't understand why it took multiple seasons for them to look at Isaiah Simmons and say, hey, you know what you're best at? playing out in the slot when you're in coverage, and then blitzing off the edge. Because that's what it sounds like to me when he described his role. I listened to his press conference right around when training camp started, and he said that the position name is Star Backer. And basically, the way he described it, it sounds like he's either going to be a nickel, a big nickel, when they want him to cover, or he's going to be the jack, which would be the rushing outside linebacker when they want him to rush the passer. Well, hey. Thanks for watching Clemson tape because that's all he was at Clemson anyway. So that kind of stuff kind of blows my mind. Um, I think that losing Jordan Hicks and having to rely on Davin Collins that's something that I kind of have a little bit of a red flag up about because if you look at his snap count throughout the year last season, it was very clear that Vance kind of hit a hard line. He was like, "All right, this development thing on the field is just not happening, and we've got to we've got to de-emphasize this guy's um, amount of snaps on the field because he just wasn't producing." as a run defender wasn't really giving them much as a blitzer wasn't doing much for them in coverage and I think that 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 level of um, needing to mature I think as a linebacker it takes time if you're being asked to do something that's not really natural to you and Vance Joseph doesn't run your run-of-the-mill 3-4 defense your run-of-the-mill bare front defense he's sending pressures that guys don't you know he's running coverage shells like you mentioned that most wouldn't in today's NFL that stuff is a lot on your on your mind playing out of position for a lot of these guys. And, I again, if you don't have the guys up front to protect for these players, I don't know what you're supposed to do to protect them now.
0: One last thing. Which team do you think led the NFL and EPA gained on fumble recoveries last season? It's got to be them. It's got to be them. Arizona Cardinals. So if we're trying to pick up some breadcrumbs about maybe why this won't be the same moving forward, I think that's a good place to start. The other thing that is intriguing to me about Simmons Apparently against the Bengals, they were running a decent amount of sim pressure stuff. That's mm-hmm. the type that we're gonna see all over the league this year. Simmons is an interesting piece if that's how you want to start playing. If he He'd can be, be somebody where he's coming, he's not coming, where's he coming from? What what position is he playing? Where are the four? That right. is a nice piece to be able to use if you want to transition to a little bit more of that where you're not technically blitzing. Right. right. Like their blitz rates are super, super high. That wouldn't count as a blitz but you are bringing pressure in kind of a non-traditional way. And if this defense is one thing, boy, it is non-traditional. Non-traditional.
2: Yes. <laughs> All
0: right. Let's get to our next one here. This one I think is a huge one. Probably going have put this second after the, the Ravens. Does Brandon Staley have the pieces he needs to run his defense in Los Angeles now?
2: I would say this is probably as close as it'll get given the price of the players that he's brought in. Right. I, I think that, you're probably not going to get any closer than now. What I'm, what I'm kind of fascinated by is, can he do the full-blown odd front thing with Jerry Tillery still kind of having to be the third best interior defensive lineman there? Um, it is Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson's presence along with Khalil Mack on the edge enough to protect what was? Like, the worst run defense on the interior in the NFL last year. 53.2% um,
0: defensive success rate against the run last year. Dead last in the it NFL. It was awful. For, for reference, the Saints were around 70%. That's how much of a gap there was between them and the team that was at the top.
2: I, mean, I was watching. The Chargers are doing things you just don't see NFL teams do, which is line up in the 3-4, stay in the 3-4, and play single high. So it almost looks like a 3-3-5, you know, like a 3-3 stack. Because you've just got the box super loaded and teams are still going for four to six yards a pop on that, you know, because they're just not able to hold the point on the interior. So I would say my, my guess is yes, because I just have a belief in this approach to defense. And not only that, I have a belief in the body types that they brought in. Um, I think that I, I think that bringing these guys in allows them to do more with Derwin in terms of bringing him close to the line of scrimmage, which I think un, unlocks a lot for them defensively, especially if Asante can live on the outside. And I think that we saw some flashes of that last season too. So that to me is something I'm really intrigued by. And I do think that if you're the Chargers, this is going to be as close as you're going to get to being able to execute what I think Staley really wants to do on the back end.
0: Even Morgan Fox is a human body. Yes, Com- compared to what they had last season, and just having more of those guys is going to be less. Really Kenneth important. Murray is good for your defense. Uh, he's not even if he were healthy, which he isn't, and that whole thing has been a saga. He was not going to start for them. Right, it's going to be Drew Tranquil and Kyle Van and Kyle Noy. Kyle Van Noy, right? And th- there are some questions, obviously. Like you don't want Kyle Van Noy in space in, in obvious passing situations. They're going to do right. everything they can to mitigate that. Right. I think they're going to use him as a blitzer. In a lot of those moments, use him near the line of scrimmage, try to play with the back and everything else on those defined passing moments. And I also think that we talk about Derwin moving down into the slot closer to the line of scrimmage. I think using him as a dime linebacker is going to be huge for them because now they have the corner bodies. So if it's third down and you want to play dime and you want to move Derwin and have him play linebacker, you can have... JT Woods and Nasir Adderley, theoretically, at safety. And now you can have a bunch of different corners because you can have Asante, Michael Davis, Bryce Callahan. Right now, the way that I have read it, Bryce Callahan is a health thing, right? So he's missed at least six games in each of the last two seasons. I think right now he's their starting slot corner. But even if you lose him, you could bump Asante inside and now you have Michael Davis and J.C. Jackson on the outside. If you want to play a little bit more man, you can you have J.C. Jackson move inside. You can do that as well if you're playing against a team that has a real number one receiver. So all of the flexibility they have on the back end and I think the ability to hide those linebackers when necessary because of the bodies they have back there is going to be huge. I think this team's going to play more man coverage this season than Staley has in the past. If yes. you look at So Fangio last year played a shitload of man, right? And if you're trying to think about where this type of defense goes, looking at Vic is typically a good place to start. I think a lot of that was driven by injuries and necessity more than this is the next step in the evolution. Mm -hmm. But I do think that teams within this tree want to be able to play a little bit more man when the situation calls for it. And I think the Chargers specifically have the players to do that on the back end.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that that to me is kind of the the Fangio tree three-four meta is when you're in those odd front looks, you want to play quarter, you want to play quarter-quarter half. When you get in the even front, if you're leaving the odd world and you're playing more four-three defense, four-two-five defense, you do that to play more one-gap defense, attacking, you know, in-your-face man style cover one or cover three types of looks. That's just kind of the approach. Um, I think for a lot of that kind of classic esque three or four defensive approach and I think that they do have the pieces to accomplish that Uh, and the thing that I think is really interesting in this conversation and and it's funny that we haven't gotten to it until now and and maybe you can speak more to it uh, because I don't know if it's just general bear stink that he's still trying to wash off but I, I think it's easy to forget that Khalil Mack is playing opposite Joey Bosa now on the edge like that that can be a very special pairing to me.
0: He's been had lingering injuries the last couple of years and has not looked the same at times when he's been on the field. He apparently is healthy, and if he's healthy, he's only 31 years old. Yes, this guy is not far removed from being one of the best players in the entire league and playing opposite Staley, one of the
2: five best rushers, pure edge rushers 100%, in the league.
0: A hundred percent. And those two guys can truly dominate games if they're both right. And what Mac gives them in the running game is so important. Yes, and asking Staley about where he's kind of gotten flexibility from the players that he added It's like Mac allows them to play nickel to add anything now mm-hmm. because of how good of a run defender he is and the flexibility that gives you on the back end. You feel it all start to come together. You feel all the pieces fitting in the right way. They got to go out and do it now. Right, but I do think that they have the bodies to make this thing work and as an offshoot of this, we could have the same conversation about the Eagles. Yep. Right. They want to be a similar type of defense. They couldn't do it last year. For them, it was twofold. They didn't have the bodies, and that team was so set in playing one specific type of defense for yes. the last however many years that you couldn't turn that quickly on a dime. Now you bring in Jordan Davis. You have Hassan Redick in there it all starts to make a little bit more sense. They have a real second corner. The safeties are still a concern, but I do think they're getting closer to the way that Jonathan Gannon wants to play. And now because of that, it's kind of becomes like a make or break year. Like, right. all right, you have the guys to instill your vision. Let's see. The Let's vision. see it.
2: Yeah, let's see it now. And I think for both of those teams, to your point, where does, what do we keep coming back to is the edges, right? You have the edge play that you need in order to do the rest that you want to do. It's edge plays, whether it, whether we're talking about pass rushers or corners. That's where this starts. If you want to play this modern three, four defense is you got to play tight coverage on the perimeter and you got to be able to stop the run or control the edges with your outside linebackers. And I think that they both have the pieces to do so. Jordan Davis in Philadelphia obviously helps with their interior defense. I think they addressed linebacker, which was a major issue for the Eagles last year. And they you know the Chargers are trying to do the same. You know, Drew Tranquil, Troy Reader, are they world beaters for me? No, they're not. Kyle Van Noy is not a world beater at this stage in his career. But they're live bodies that can do the job of playing as a 3-4 inside backer, and those 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 roles make a big difference. And you can take those guys off the field when you have the defensive backs that you need. To your point of putting Derwin inside, you know, as a dime backer, a lot of that is also a credit to the development of a guy like a Nas Atterley. You know, that's something that I don't think the Eagles have available to them that the Chargers do, um, and I think that we'll see that little bit of you know kind of developmental delay between the Chargers and the Eagles as two defenses that I think are trying to approach it the same. Those pass-down packages that Brandon Staley can get to because of the body types he has on the back end, I think, can be more varied. You can do more with that than I think the Eagles will. Where I think the Eagles might have them beat is they might be able to stop the run, I think, as well, if not better, because of some of the bodies they have on the inside. Um, But I think that the the Chargers will still be able to cover in a way that maybe the Eagles may not be able to because of their safety depth or lack thereof.
0: Can you give me 30 seconds on why Hassan Reddick occasionally dropping into coverage is not the end of the world?
2: <laughs> I think it's just a, it's a capability thing. And, and maybe that's just kind of a, a credit to Vance Joseph and the Cardinals for playing a guy out of position for a little while uh, before he got to what, where he needed to be. But um, I think that in that 3-4 defensive world, if you want to play a base package, you're going to need that outside backer to drop into coverage. Every once in a while, he's got to drop and play that kind of quarter flat um, and that adds layering to that defense. So that way, if you've got a roll coverage over the top of a struggling corner, you can do so. Um, it helps them send backers. You know, you can run these little interior plug simulated pressures like you were mentioning when you have an edge guy who can handle a back coming out of the backfield or can drop to a hook every once in a while. We see that all the time in the college game. And a lot of that is by necessity because you're not going to have a dominant edge rusher. Um, I don't think the Eagles have that, but in Brandon Graham and, and really Hassan Reddick, you have guys that you can kind of move around and reconfigure your defense around and still be able to get the effect of a four-man rush without it necessarily being two dominant edge players or edge bodies um, getting after the quarterback.
0: I just wanted to have some people walking down Broad Street, like talk them down the first time uh-huh. that it happens because they think they might be a little Oh, upset. it's coming.
2: All right. Absolutely.
0: All right. Next one here is the Browns defensive line good enough for their secondary to matter? Because I'm very excited about the players that this team has in the back seven. They've got versatility. You know, this is a team that they're going to play dime as their base defense on third down with three corners and three safeties on the field because of the guys that they have. There's been great development from that entire group. We can talk about that a little bit. The problem is we we've talked about this, you and I on other shows. If you want to go back and listen to the tying up loose ends show that we did. I think we dug into a lot of this early when we did that show in late July, you have these teams that run these four man fronts that want to play a lot of quarters coverage. And the, the, the teams that immediately come to mind are the Browns, the jets and the Niners, all teams that come from kind of a similar place. The Niners have a pack of wolves on their front four. I mean like rabid wolves. It's, it's terrifying to watch and that allows them to play like this. We love the edge guys for the Browns, right? They have complimentary skill sets. Miles Garrett's a super-duper star. Do you think a common NFL fan could name me one starting or one rotational defensive tackle on the Cleveland Browns? Can you?
2: I only know that Taven Bryan is there because Justice and Charles McDonald and I got a good laugh out of seeing that he was going to be logging a lot of snaps for this defensive line. Outside of that, to me, it's a lot of guys that you if you told me these were fake, Madden generated names, I will believe you. Perry and sounds Elliott. like a a Madden generated name. Glenn Logan sounds like a Madden generated name. Jordan Elliott sounds like a fake name. You know, and it's no disrespect to these guys. It's just at an NFL level, you know, you want to stop the run on the interior, especially on early downs, you need better bodies than I think that they have up front. I think that they'll be able to live. It they just might not be able to dominate in the ways that I know that. You would like to see them. I think that's capable for that, something that they're capable of when you look at the back end for them. You know, they might have the best pair of corners in the NFL this season. I like John Johnson. I like Grant Delpit, you know, as safeties. I'm just so concerned that they're not going to have the same kind of early down success this year that they had last year. Because quietly over the course of the season, they were pretty good in terms of yards per play and success rate on first and second down last year, even playing a lot of four down quarter stuff. I'm not sure if this defensive interior allows you to live in that same kind of world.
0: They were 21st in run defense success rate last season. It's not yeah. terrible, but it's not great. And I just want to see this secondary unleashed. Cause I do think it has a chance to be a really special group mm-hmm. and it's all continuity and talking to Joe Woods and other people a couple weeks ago when I was there, the advantage that gives you where you're in year two, everyone's used to talking to each other. There are things that they're just picking up so much quicker now with, all right, I'm letting this go. I feel totally comfortable letting this go. I know how this all fits together. I don't have to react to everything coming across my face because I know it's going to get picked up elsewhere. I asked somebody there on their defensive staff, I said, of all the young guys you have in the secondary, who's come the furthest in the last year? And he said Grant Delpit. And he said, I thought something was so interesting in that you know, When you have these safeties that the roles are a little bit mixed, you know, you don't have a box safety and a, and a post safety anymore. You got to do a little bit of everything. So when Delpit was playing on the third level of the defense, when he was at LSU, they were taught to trigger hard yes. on stuff coming, coming underneath. That's the style that they played. And they almost had to kind of reprogram him to not do that. It's like you can't come down so hard on all that stuff coming in front of you. We need you to be the roof on this thing. Right. And apparently he has really taken to that over the last year as he's gotten more reps and more experience doing it. And when you combine him taking a step with John Johnson having one more year within the defense and a group of corners with Greg Newsom inside now and Ronnie Harrison being able to step in there, I mean they can solve pretty much any problem you want them to with the bodies they have on the back end, this really just becomes a question of what can you do on early downs if we're worried about teams just running it up down your throat the entire game.
2: And then that puts that puts a young guy that I have a lot of high hopes for in Jeremiah owusu in a tough spot too, because if you've got to ask him to be more of a downhill run fit guy, that takes away from, I think, some of his best skill sets, which is the fact that yes, he can show up every once in a while, but that's probably not the way that you want to play them, you want to play them as that quarters overhang type of player on the weak side of the coverage or dealing with tight ends more in coverage and as a run fitter. So there, there is a lot of stress and we talk all the time, you know, I mentioned cascading effects almost every time I'm on uh, the podcast when we talk about defense, but that's what it is. It's a lot of if then problem solving um, on the defensive end. And if Koromoa can't be used more of a space player and has to be used as more of a box player. That, I think, becomes a little bit more hairy and that would be an indication that they really don't feel comfortable with Taven Bryan and Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togiai, I think, as, as run defenders on the interior.
0: You're looking at this group right now. Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams, John Johnson, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa That's the best collection of pass yes. defending back seven players in the league. Yes. So if you can get to those situations, I think they're going to be really fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> but no. it's about getting to those situations. got to get there.
2: You got to get there.
1: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
2: Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mm that's pretty good learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets investing involves risk including risk of loss fidelity brokerage services llc member SIPC.
0: all right number seven here can the packers take that step into the true defensive elite teams in the nfl what say you
2: I was almost going to turn this back around on you since you're there. What is your feel for for? I wish
0: we I at? wish we were having this conversation six hours later. Yeah. After I talked to some people here, my schedule got twisted around a little bit. I'm fascinated to hear you know the, their plan defensively and what some of the moves that they made. My initial thought is, I'm still a little bit worried about the run defense because they were actively terrible last year. It was bad. They were not that much better than the the Chargers were. And I think that we're just kind of forgetting this because Kenny Clark is a really good player. So now, what does TJ Slayton look like in year two as just a, a space eater in there? What can they – I mean, him, Dean Lowry, Jerron Reed is there. But Jerron Reed was the nose tackle for one of the worst run defenses in the league last year in Kansas City. So I I think that there's a little bit of wishful thinking into, all right, they can just be better there. So that's what I want to see first and foremost. Outside of that, I'm fascinated by how Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell fit together. Yep. And we – you and I were were talking about this as it relates to Raheem Morris, kind of those overload – 5 0 looks that the Rams were using late in the season, where they'd have the linebacker walk down over the guard and then they'd have three defensive linemen opposite on the other side of the front to create one on ones. Yeah. Packers did that in the preseason. We saw the exact same look from them during one of their preseason games. So now, if you have quite, do you feel more comfortable playing two linebacker looks with Walker and Campbell in the game? And can you have Walker in that length walked up into the B gap and using? him in some of those situations this year and letting Campbell be more of a coverage player? Do you flip them? Do you have Campbell walked up and letting Walker be more of a coverage player? The length that they have at linebackers is absolutely insane now and how they weaponize that is really interesting to me. And then I think the the biggest question after that is how do the corners shake out? Like, Does Rasul Douglas now play inside with Jair Alexander coming back and how does he hold up there? Because if he's comfortable playing there and you have him and Stokes who we didn't even talk about Eric Stokes last year, which is a good thing.
2: Quietly one of the best corners in the league last season.
0: And you have Very him and quietly. Alexander and Rasul. I think that's going to be interesting. Or do they play Jair Alexander inside a little bit more this season than they did? So I think the bodies are there. And that's right. not even mentioning what Devontae Wyatt can be for them in certain situations. So to me, it's the
2: the biggest question, first and foremost,
0: is can the run defense hold up with the players that they have up front? That's the number one thing to me.
2: I'm in the exact same exact same boat as you. I think that you know their draft is kind of informed by them having the exact same questions of their defense going out and making their first you know few picks. Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker outside of the Christian Walker pick to go uh, to go kind of replace Devontae Adams, quote unquote. Um, I, I think that they want to address that too within their defensive front. Um, I think that you know one of the, another another thing that was really interested to me is that. They did not feel the need to replace as a Darius Smith. They did not feel that they needed to get another designated pass rush type. You know, they feel comfortable with Sean Gary and Preston Smith being more of those uh, power rusher pocket crush types. You know, they were able to convert a lot of pressure into QB hits and QB hurries and sacks last year. But their actual overall pressure rate throughout the year last year was not as high. So they must build
0: blitz, right? They, they never almost blitzed. never blitzed,
2: almost never blitzed. Felt very comfortable just playing their two high quarter shell, quarter quarter half. And don't get me wrong; you can go on and turn their tape, and it's some of like the most beautiful uh, coverage distributions that you'll see at the NFL level. Guys are just stuck to routes everywhere. So they certainly have the ability to get those coverage sacks, but do they have enough up front to get after the quarterback? And then it's back to run defense for for me as well. I, I love the big bodies that they have. But yeah, I've got to see it beyond just Kenny Clark being a great nose tackle type. You know, can you get in and out of these different fronts and still be able to stop the run? And I think that if you do, then you get into passing situations. And then you're I think they're going to eat people alive in those scenarios because of what you said in versatility with Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. For a guy like Quay, who's 6'4", 230 pounds and comes from a Georgia defense that blitz their linebackers all the time anyways. Those looks, those pressure looks are going to be very natural, I, I think, and intuitive for him. So you can really do some interesting things to generate four-man pass rushes or play cover one and rush five and get after the quarterback that way. But just like the Browns, you've got to get to those scenarios. You have to get to those situations. Um, that offense is probably not going to be as explosive on the other side of them this season. And I think it puts a little bit more stress on them to win on early downs and make sure they give Aaron Rodgers as many opportunities as possible.
0: Yeah, I, I think that we see them pressure more on third down this year. Yeah, I'm I just you. think that it's it's the next step that a lot of people from this tree are taking. Mm-hmm. You know, even talking to people in Denver, you know, they're going to have the same defensive DNA with the Fangio system now right. with Drew Ever they had with Vic but the Rams were bringing funky pressure stuff on third down last year. And I think that the pressure package the Broncos will use this season is a little bit different. And I think that even that one play from preseason and Joe Barry looking at some of that Ram stuff and being like, how can I incorporate this? I right. do think that they're just going to force the issue a little bit more on third down than they might have last year. And I think that's okay. I don't think, yes. I don't think blitzing in those situations, especially if you're only bringing four, is you're doing that from a – place of urgency. I think that's the next step in this and making yourself just a little bit harder to pick apart I'm with you all right next one here is the Dolphins outlier style on defense sustainable post Brian Flores?
2: So this one this question might be the one that has the least direct answer because we truly we probably cannot know until the regular season because of how specific that identity defensively was. Um, You know, I, there's still a lot up in the air about just how much Boyer was involved in building this out. You know, obviously none of the players have anything bad to say about him. And it seems like from everything that I've read and tried to research that he is a guy who played a piece in kind of developing what became what we knew as Brian Flores's defense last season. But it's hard to say that you can still just be that heavy cover zero or heavy cover one or cover three all the time and we're loading up the front you know or are always trying to send guys and get unblocked pressure um, as often as possible that was unique enough as it was it, I, I'd have to see it first from a different guy at the helm uh, before I felt comfortable saying that that's exactly what it's going to be which then just opens the door to if it's not that then what exactly is this defense in terms of a collection of parts and what you would actually want to see them do schematically
0: I have to assume it's going to look a lot like it did in the last couple of years. Because why would you keep them right? if you didn't want to continue doing that sort of stuff? It's such a specific way of playing that if you want to play a different way, why wouldn't you just bring someone in from a different defensive system? So I have to assume they're going to want to do a lot of the same things. And man, you look at some of the numbers, it's cra- it's crazy.
2: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: They ran 84 cover zero snaps last year. The next closest team in the league was 56. The gap you shouldn't between, be
2: able to do that in the NFL.
0: That number is cranked up a little bit because that one Baltimore game. Right, the Baltimore, but even if you yes. take out that one Baltimore game, they still probably lead the league. So they, they did 28 more than the next closest team. That's bigger than the gap between the uh, Chiefs at 2 and the Falcons at 10. And, so, and it's, it's the same for man coverage because if you look at man coverage rates over the last three or four years, it makes total sense when you think about it on a broader level. As more teams are adopting the Staley Fangio type of defense, more teams are going to be playing zone-heavy defenses. And that's just the way that the trend is going. The Dolphins last season, they played man on 45% of their snaps. Again, the gap between them and the team at number two was the same as the gap between the team at two and 12. They are in their own world now, especially now that Baltimore is not playing that way. And can you live that way? So far, they've done just fine. They got some decent turnover luck last year. They were third in EPA generated on fumbles. But they clearly want to play this way, and they clearly want to live this way if they're bringing Boyer back. And I just don't know what that looks like now that Flores is gone.
2: And the other fascinating thing to me is that them playing this way, I think, has actually led to them developing some of their young guys into being playable guys that I might not have had the highest opinion on before. Um, like, I, I thought Christian Wilkins was decent. You could not have convinced me the last year he was going to look like that before the season started. He was a very good defensive, uh, defensive lineman for them last season. Um, Raquan Davis is a guy I think that, that will be, that will add value to this defense being here. Emmanuel Agba has been, has looked like a viable pass rush type. I think as a, as a part of being, you know, in this defense, not something that I would have ever imagined we'd see, you know, at this stage in his career. Um, so they've definitely got a lot of growth from some of their front seven bodies by playing defense that way, which makes sense, you know, because you're always playing for penetration, backfield production, you know, trying to create those negative plays as often as possible. So I love the ethos behind what they're doing. Um, so I, I do agree that they're going to have to do it that way. And I th- I guess that since they have all the same pieces, we should probably be somewhat interested or, or, or optimistic about what this might look like, because I thought that at different points last year, especially during the win streak, you know that defense was kind of holding that franchise up, you know, at, at different points. So I'm definitely interested to see what this looks like, and I think that if you continue to get growth from Christian Wilkins, Raquan Davis plays well, you can maybe even lean lean away from some of that stuff and still be able to live um, up front because of what they've developed with some of their guys at defensive line and linebacker.
0: It has been live by the sword, die by the sword, yes. man, and 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 they have. Lived by the sort of decent amount, but let's 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 in, in investigate and interrogate this a little bit. Okay, here are the quarterbacks that the Dolphins played last season: oh,
2: Mac Jones know.
0: twice, <laughs> Mac Jones twice, Josh Allen twice. Thirty-five for Josh Allen the first time, and then they lost twenty-six to eleven the next time they played Josh Allen. Brady scored forty-five on them. They beat up Carson Wentz. They beat up Trevor Lawrence. They beat up the Falcons' offense, it was one of the worst in the league. Davis Mills. Talk about the nightmarish game they had to play against Lamar Jackson. Zach Wilson twice, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, whoever was playing a quarterback for the Saints in Week 16. I'm not even going to look it up. It's not worth it. I mean, this is not a good collection of teams. Even a, a good offense like Baltimore had no answers for what they did. It was a very specific sort of way that they could pick them apart. So I understand wanted to go this way, but I think there's a reason that fewer teams are wanting to live and die by the sword in the way that the Dolphins seem willing to right now.
2: It's really hard to do when you're not seeing bad quarterbacks. I watched that Saints game, and I watched that Giants game. Those games were awful. They were difficult to watch. You're a better man than me. I, I, I don't feel any better for doing it. <laughs> Trust me, you didn't miss out. Um, so I am I'm kind of fascinated. You know, you've got the Chargers, you know, with a great quarterback. You've got the Packers on schedule this year. You've got the 49ers, which is one of the best schemes in the NFL, you know, overall. Um, you've got the Vikings, another great scheme. You've got the Bengals on schedule, the Bills twice. So there could be some regression just by, just based on who you're seeing in terms of opponents. Um, so I, I don't know which way this goes. Other than to say that if they continue to keep, you know, this level of defense or this style of defense that they've had over the last few years under Brian Flores, it's probably enough to still hang around the 16 to 18, 15 to 18 ish range, which I guess we should be happy with. Because, again, if you just look at the collection of names outside of that pair of corners in Javon Holland, there's not a whole lot to be in love with anyways.
0: And that maybe is why you have to play this way. Right. And just because you don't have the guys to maybe play any other way. You built it in this very specific manner. You have corners that are really good at playing man. Like if your best player is Xavier Howard and Jafon Holland, which are probably their two best defensive players right now, this makes sense to play this yeah. way. Play manager. Exactly. Yep. I, I think I, I get it, but I just think it's a dicey way and a dangerous way to live at this stage of things. So Beller just said Ian Book was the quarterback for the the, the Saints in that game. Ugh. He was twelve of twenty. 1220 20 for 135, two picks. you was sacked eight times. So good for you on watching that one.
2: <laughs> I, and I wish I could say there was something notable that happened in that football game, but I think we'd both know that that would be a lot.
0: It was a Monday night game, and I chose to perform some self care rather than watching that game. All right. Two more here very quickly. Do we think the Chiefs' defense is good enough to keep them atop the AFC? Or can they do enough to keep them near the top of the AFC?
2: So is the is a more direct way to ask that question is is George Carlaftis and Trent McDuffie good enough?
0: And Brian Cook is going to be their third safety. So all the rookies that they drafted with the Tyreek Hill Hall, are they enough to kind of keep this team afloat defensively?
2: I it's hard for me to say that in year 1, man. That's asking a lot out of rookies. I agree, but they're going to need him to be. I, I don't I can't possibly see it. And I love what I've seen from George Carlaftis in the preseason. I think that he, his first step, his explosiveness has actually been a a Pleasant surprise for me as a guy who was a fan of his coming out of Purdue. I'm still am just not comfortable just saying, hey, man, we're going to drop you in and you're going to be like a real NFL pass rusher from the beginning. Trent McDuffie is a guy that, you know, because of the losses they've had a defensive back, he probably should be in the slot. I don't think that they can afford to only play him in the slot this season. That's another thing that I'm really not comfortable with uh, with them defensively. And then what that means for Spags. When, when, when Spags was in New York, we knew him as a, Hey, man, I can rush four and play tight coverage on the back end. And you just got to deal with the fact that we've got this fearsome force up front. They've never had that in Kansas City. And he's been able to make up for that with all those crazy safety rotations, playing cover two, playing cover one and using Tyron Matthew as the robber and doing all these different things with the defensive backfield and just saying, Hey, you've got, you can't run the ball on us because our offense is putting up 28, whether you want them to or not. Um, I don't know if that's the same kind of world that they can live in. And I'm not sure without those bodies on the defensive backfield and bringing in rookies to have to take in more traditional roles, whether or not I'm comfortable saying that they can have a contending level defense for as much as I love Patrick Mahomes and the rest of this offense.
0: Very quickly, what does swapping out Justin Reed and Tyron Matthew do? How do you have to change what you can be defensively?
2: I think that you you can't do the same things that they did out of the nickel package in terms of really what that means is that you can't hide guys the same way that you could when Tyron Matthew was there. They could hide Sorensen with Matthew uh, on the field because you can run all those different coverage cover two rotations and you can put Sorensen wherever you want to within the defense. You know, you can do some different things in your pressure packages, which is something that Spags has had to adopt a lot of playing a lot of these like trap coverages. Where you can send a Sorensen, you can send your worst defensive back. You can send Charvarius Ward, who was actually a really good blitzer, um, you know, and, and rotate the defense behind them and, and still be able to deal with, you know, some of the things that might cause you trouble. Without that, again, you're playing more traditional defense. This defense for, for Spags in this year, I think, is going to look more like what it was with New York. Sands the front four guys you don't have you have your version of justin tuck and, and chris jones but you don't have an oc your you don't have a jason pierre paul right now and i don't know if that defense works the same if you don't have those types of players
0: those weird designer cover twos Nate mentioned a little bit of this on the offensive show that we did i think we're going to see a lot more of that Yep, we see a lot more just weird designer cover two from teams around the league this year. It's just like one little change up on defense. I think that's definitely something that's coming.
2: And he was second in cover two steps since he took over the job in 2019. So like that's been a major, major piece of this defense.
0: For the Chiefs, they've done a lot of it for the last few years. I think other teams are going to start stealing some of those ideas because if we can just a different way to kind of play those zone coverages that quarterbacks aren't used to seeing. Like, how can we get to something where maybe it's a little bit funky for them to understand? Last one here. What do we think the Colts look like under Gus Bradley?
2: So my thing is, like, can he get enough out of this edge rush with Yannick Ngakwe and Pay to intimate what he had in Las Vegas last year? Because what it was in Las Vegas last year, in spite of everybody and their mom being able to turn on the TV and tell you exactly where guys were rushing for him, what coverage they were playing, and how they wanted to defend offenses, they were still in the top 10 in yards for play allowed. And yards per attempt, you know, in the passing game, they had the 10th fewest yards per rush allowed to be able to accomplish that with, I think, was maybe one of the most vanilla defensive schemes that we have in the NFL. You're only able to do that when you get dominance up front. Um, so that's where I think a lot of this kind of lies is can DeForest Buckner, Yannick Ngakoue, and Pay be three Pro Bowl to, you know, or maybe one of these guys be an all pro level and the other two be Pro Bowl level players. In order to paper over a defensive secondary outside of Kenny Moore that I'm still not in love with,
0: I think the players on this defense are better than the ones that he had in Las Vegas last year. On, I, on the back, I like end that. Yes,
2: well. I, I would be. I would be open to that argument for certain. I mean, Stephon especially Gilmore. on the back end,
0: Stephon Gilmore is apparently healthy, and I think that just having him compared to the corners that they had in Vegas last year. Brandon Faison played for the Raiders last year. That's yes, a one for one trade over, right? I think Julian Blackman is hopefully in line for a big season. I think Julian Blackman is a good player. They are very excited about where he's at right now compared to even where he was a year ago. And you drop the Forrest Buckner in there instead of Jonathan Hankins or Solomon yes. Thomas, or whoever they had. You have two very major good linebackers, worries. one who's an all-pro linebacker. And we, we talked about this with this defense all the time. You need the guys to run it. Yep. They have some they guys. They got the dudes. <laughs> like, they kind of got the dudes, man. I, I think there's there's reason for optimism here. I mean, they the Raiders finished 15th in defensive DVOA last season. Weighted defensive DVOA. The Raiders finished 15th. They traded for Denzel Perriman for a late round pick swap in August. He was like a huge part of what they did. Corey Littleton played a ton of snaps for this team last year. The Panthers signed him for 2 million bucks. Jonathan Abram played a ton
2: for the Raiders last season. (laughs) And I mean,
0: all of these guys that are getting 600, 700 snaps, I think there are upgrades all along the Colts' defense. I'm just concerned about how stagnant it is and just kind of how stale a lot of the ideas have gotten. But I do think that this could still be the 12th best defense in the league based on the sheer level of talent that they have.
2: I agree, and I think that this comes back to the same, uh, I think a similar question that we would have with the Chiefs is, what benchmark do you actually have to clear when your offense is what your offense is. I think that that Colts offense can be, and I know I was just listening to the podcast with you and Nate earlier this morning. I think that this Colts offense can land in the top seven in DVOA. Well, that's, su- that's, that's Super Bowl contending level offense. So what actual benchmark do you have to clear defensively? It was the same thing I'm wondering with the Chiefs. I don't think that Gus Bradley has to have the Legion of Boom in order for this to be a real defense. He just needs this front four, and I think that some of the upgrades they have in the back end compared to Las Vegas to just perform at a decent enough level to be able to keep them in that 12 to 15 range. And if they're good enough to do that, that's certainly good enough to win this division. And once you get home games in the playoffs, I trust Matt Ryan. I trust Frank Reich. You know, I've seen these guys do it before. And I think that if you can live in that world, even as a defense that doesn't want to send a lot of pressure, that's not going to do a lot of variable things in terms of the back end they probably have enough to be a thorn in the side of every team that they play this year. And I think that that's a really good spot for them to be in.
0: I feel comfortable dropping this nugget. I, when they were looking at Bradley and they were trying to figure out who they wanted to hire, they actually talked to Vic Fangio mm. about Gus Bradley's defense mm-hmm. and about if there, are not, if there are holes in it that we should be worried about and all of this. And Vic said, you know, there are elements of it that are just kind of an inverted version of what I do and that you absolutely can play this way and still survive. And that was a huge kind of box for them to check and they just love the way he connects with the players he he just is one of those guys that people love playing for there are reasons that all these guys follow him around i mean you still as a free agent have to decide where you're going and i think it sends a very clear message that so many of these people have said i'll follow him from stop to stop and that's happened a ton based on some of the guys he's played with in san diego and then but then with the Raiders and now even with the Colts. So I think that there are reasons for them to be excited, even if I do think the ceiling is kind of capped with this sort of defense.
2: Yep. And I've I've been saying this since the hire happened, and, and I will stand by this. Gus Bradley will be Quiddy Pay's best friend. If you are looking to develop <laughs> yourself up front, Gus Bradley is the guy. I don't know what it is or how, but he has found a way every place that he's been to absolutely maximize. These guys that have interesting skill sets, you know, are clear certain athletic benchmarks. He has been able to get high levels of productions out of these players at every stop that he's been at. And I don't expect it to be any different, especially having DeForest Buckner on the inside and Yannick opposite you. That's a great situation to be in in general as a young edge rusher and then to have a defense that I think really liberates you to go out and create and create plays for yourself. This is going to be the perfect type of scenario for Quiddy Pay to grow in and I expect Colts fans to be really really happy with him as a former first round pick.
0: A few defenses we did not talk about, Niners, Rams, Seahawks, we hit those hard. In the Loose Ends podcast from 2021 that we recorded in late July. If you want to go check that out, extensive conversations about those three teams. Two teams we did not mention. I just want to see if the Jets can be better. Like the idea that Robert Salo is the head coach of that team and they finished dead last in defensive DVOA, the players that they added with Sauce, even like tissue players like Jordan Whitehead, can they be a little bit better this year with all the additions they also made up front? And the other team is how real is the Titans blueprint from last year?
2: But that was another one that I was really on the edge of asking before we got on the podcast. I'm so we'll fascinated get into that by a bunch. that defense. I'm sure.
0: And it, I I have had multiple defensive play callers around the NFL, defensive play callers that I think are very smart and very creative. Ask them, what is your favorite thing, the most interesting thing you watched this offseason when you were studying? And they said the Titans
2: simulated pressures. Simulated pressures, man.
0: And so I think that the Titans have really tapped into something about where defensive football is going in the league and whether they can kind of continue pushing that stuff forward with the players that they have. That's one that we did not hit on, but definitely is in the back of my mind. All right. That's all we got. Appreciate you guys listening. Deontay appreciate the time. We will be back tomorrow with Deontay's good friend, Seth Galina talking about, I don't know some who that guys, is at all. talking about some guys <laughs> in new situations around the league. Uh, some of these are, quarterbacks that had players traded away some of them are receivers that were traded away really excited to dig into that conversation with Seth in the meantime please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice please subscribe to The Athletic theathletic.com slash football show we'll be back tomorrow appreciate you guys listening talk to you soon this
2: was The Athletic Football Show